Paramount has been the most unloved of all the combinations by Wall Street, even though when you think about what's inside Paramount Global, it's an, an extraordinary cache of assets. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, May 8th, which means it's Media Monday. Today, I'm joined by Puck's brilliant founder, John Kelly, to talk about Vice, once hyped as the next big thing in media and now being sold out of bankruptcy. And we discuss a very bad earnings call for Paramount as the Hollywood giant struggles to adapt to the streaming universe. We'll discuss all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Happy Monday, everybody. It's Media Monday. I'm joined today by John Kelly, as I am every Monday. John, this is our last Media Monday for several weeks. As listeners know, I'm getting married, then I'm doing a honeymoon. So let's make this a good one, buddy. Well, I'm excited to see you live and in person at the event itself. And that that noise in the background, I don't know if you can hear it. It's the the sound of uh, a thousand hearts breaking right now as Peter Hamby leaves the market. I saw Sean this morning. We were, we were already planning. Uh, oh, Nice. Yeah, it was the 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 spring concert. So um, uh, everyone everyone everyone's planning the trouble. Spoiler alert: You and Sean are at the same table. <laughs> I can't wait to see you, buddy, uh, in person, not just disembodied voice, John. So I want to I want to ask you to kick off this uh, podcast here. We've talked about this uh, in previous couple of podcasts, but Vice Media, the Wall Street Journal reports, is basically being sold for parts to Fortress Investment Group. Shout out to Wes Edens, who just fired Coach Bud at the Bucks <laughs> and Soros Fund Management. Um, basically, the planned sale of the company, according to the journal, would value Vice around $400 million, which is a lot more than it was valued when it was a wee little Toronto city paper for hipsters way back in the day. But obviously, a huge drop from its peak valuation of almost $6 billion in 2017. What do you make of all this? I mean, we, you know, this sort of seems like the natural denouement for yet another digital media entity. Maybe $400 million is, is a deal. Who knows? Yeah, this hits home on some level. It's selling uh, in a, you know, obviously, a, this is a highly distressed situation to Fortress, which was the last money in and, and basically the first out. So who knows how much money is actually changing hands mm-hmm. here. And, and Soros also, um, everyone's wiped out. In this, every vice stockholder, every you know, an equity holder, every debt holder, uh, Sixth Street, um, Lupa Systems, which is James Murdoch, you know, TPG investor in Puck, also investor in Vice. Um, I think everyone wants out of this company. I found myself 
thinking a lot of The Giving Tree, that um, Shel Silverstein book uh, for yeah. children about the, the life cycle of, you know, um, the boy goes to the tree and then he takes the apples and then, you know, mm. the, when he's in, in so his maturity, <laughs> cuts, the, cuts the tree down and then as an old man, um, you know, he says, I'm too big to climb and play. And he just wants to sit on the on the tree. And Vice had that sort of life cycle, that, that confidence and that massive humbling all in 20 years. I mean, the company is actually older than we think because it started out, as you point out, as, as this kind of Montreal alt-ish skateboarder I'm corrected. Culture. You're right. Montreal, not Toronto. And, um, and it's ending, you know, at about 7% of its peak valuation. And interestingly, uh, one curiosity of this deal to me was that Shane is is going to be involved in Vice somehow. And I'm guessing that certainly he's not running it day to day, but he is... I presume one of the investors, prob- probably Soros, which is uh, the the new money here, made that a contingency of the deal that they wanted to, to have him on the hook for it. But it's an extraordinary moment for this to happen. We've talked about this, you know, a bit in the last couple of of weeks. But this era does seem to keep ending, and and now it's really like beginning to kind of dig, dig into its time capsule, you know, and, and look for its artifacts. Ben Smith's book, Traffic has uh, risen to the surface again. Mm-hmm. The you know the, the foibles and frustrations of Jonah Peretti and, and Nick Denton. I listened to them on Peter Kafka's podcast earlier this week. And it's interesting how open that generation of leaders is about, you know, what the lessons they learned along the way. I mean, you, you have to remember, these were companies founded by guys and they were all guys in their you know in their 30s ish it was a kind of new york style garage company culture they thought that they were disrupting these really sleepy massively traditional institutions and they were so unbelievably arrogant about this the entire time and so when the, when the crash came it came hard and fast and and very very public and it was incredibly humbling and what what's more it's fascinating how obviously the the incumbents still exist. Uh, Vox wanted to, you know, be the kind of Condé Nast of its time, and Condé Nast still exists, and, and, and Vox is, is valued at half of its peak valuation. You know, Vikes wanted to sort of rewrite the rules of, uh, of media, and obviously it, it saw that um, it's very, very hard to do that at scale. And there were no clear winners here, and obviously uh, things move fast. You know, MTV, which is sort of the, I guess, the incumbent that Vice was trying to sort of tear asunder, is now basically a shingle on the you know Viacom bundle, which is a small part of the Paramount Global Colossus, which we're going to talk about later. Lost thirty percent of its value on Thursday. So um, yeah, uh, tough times for for everyone. But as my old pal John Homans, um, the late great John Homans, used to say, sometimes life feeds you a shit sandwich and you just have to eat it. Yeah, I mean the the great humbling is something I think that happened to a lot of these media. Rose, you're right, uh, you know, who started out there in 20s and 30s, rose to the great heights, did a lot of shit talking, and then realized you got to live a little. <laughs> yeah, totally. I uh, I was reminded the other day, I think when I was talking to Dylan about Vice, of a story where I want to say in like 2014, Vice did an impressive, albeit journalistically compromised, undercover documentary with ISIS and basically like mm-hmm. they went undercover in the in the Islamic state and but basically like agreed to a series of you know concessions that they wouldn't cover X Y or Z or make statements about X Y or Z in exchange for some incredible never before seen on the ground footage <laughs> of this insanely backwards terrible place 
And I think CNN was getting sort of some pressure to talk to Vice or do an agreement with Vice. I'm not I'm not exactly sure what it was. Um, but for all of the uh, smack talking about Jeff Zucker on this this podcast <laughs> in the past, Jeff and Shane Smith went back and forth. And while a lot of media executives were like, wow, Vice is so cool. Like, Vice is amazing. This is how we're going to reach young people. Jeff basically didn't take Vice seriously. He yeah. gave an on-the-record quote to New York Magazine at the time that I just pulled up where he said, literally, quote, I don't take Vice seriously. They produce 15 hours of television. <laughs> We're going to do that between now and tonight. And that was in response to Shane Smith talking shit about CNN, calling them a disaster. They're spiraling. By the way, this was all in 2014 before yeah, that's amazing. CNN went all in on the Trump circus. But, you know, like Shane's ego apparent then... You know, it just the, the rubber really never met the road in terms of not the content they were creating, but the audience claims and the revenue claims and all of these things they were bragging about and boasting yep. about. You could see through it and see that, like, this dude had gone from rags to riches and was, you know, looking for a sale, looking to get acquired. And, yep. you know, the bottom line was the bottom line the whole time. So, you know, it is. I know we keep saying this. Feels like an end of an era for digital media. Are there any, before I go to break, are there any, like, digital media success stories from that era that jump out at you? I mean, we've talked about how Axios feels like the last ad-supported digital media startup to kind of grow and scale yeah. and succeed, but that was sort of the tail end of that moment. There, there are a, a number of them. You know, uh, certainly the information is, is one that, that doesn't get enough credit. They saw something really early and they were incredibly focused on uh, mm -hmm. subscriptions for a B2B audience in Mm -hmm. The yeah. sort of technology and and life sciences space. Uh, Politico uh, also never gets enough credit because it, it was um, it's not really treated like a startup because it was it was founded uh, by a billionaire uh, th you know through his own wealth. So there was it was sort of de risked. It, it wasn't it wasn't you know uh, Jim and and Harris and and Mike uh, obviously founded it, but there was just a, a, it's you know life formation was a little bit different. But you know what people mm -hmm. forget is um, you know there are a million other uh, you know great success stories. Th things like you know what's kind of become fandom. These digital properties that were so incredibly focused. And and I will just leave you with this thought on Shane Smith. None of this is a surprise on some level, right? Because business is about focus and discipline. And when you think of those companies that were formed in the kind of like the, the or they came to, to life really in the kind of post-Bush America, you know, um, yeah, that, yeah. that era, they were profoundly undisciplined. Uh, Vice wanted to be everything for young people. I mean, it, it was Shane riding on the back of a tank somewhere, in, you know, uh, in an undisclosed location in the Middle East. And it was also, you know, these various websites and Gawker had seven or eight different sub-brands at a certain point. BuzzFeed wanted to be absolutely everything. They, they, they just weren't focused. They, there was this belief that the internet was this massive, e expansive canvas that could go anywhere and you just had to follow wherever you went. And, and at the end of the day, I think the companies that were incredibly focused ended up being the most successful and, and the most long-lasting. Yep. Yes, know your audience, be focused. Those are all generic pieces of advice, but somehow they seem to work. I wanna take a quick break, John. When we come back, I wanna to talk to you about earnings calls for the big streamers. Powers that be, everyone. It was announced at the end of last week that Yellowstone is ending after season five. Uh, however, there is obviously a huge universe 
<laughs> That's right. The red state Marvel universe of Paramount platforms, Yellowstone and all of its properties, Taylor Sheridan, get that bag. But uh, speaking of people not getting the bag, Paramount itself got totally blitzed on earnings last week. What happened? Well, two things happen. The ad market is soft, so every large media company is feeling that. So basically TV revenue um, declines or having fell throughout the industry and, and Paramount. But the big kahuna that really sort of terrified uh, Wall Street analysts was what happened with Paramount Plus. The marginal subscriber gains, I think it's like 4.0 million net, net subs, um, which gets them to around 60, which is an impressive number, you know, given how late they entered this. But they lost a half a billion dollars and they clearly didn't communicate this to Wall Street. You know, by comparison, uh, Zaslav uh, announced a day later that that Max, I guess what's now known as Max, was profitable and is now at mm-hmm. 100 million subscribers. So, uh, you know, P- Paramount has been the most unloved of all the combinations by Wall Street, even though when you think about what's inside Paramount Global, it's an, an extraordinary cache of assets, right? Like it, it's, you know, it's the, the CBS library, it's it's Paramount Pictures, you know, l- incredible live sports rights. Um, Survivor reruns. It, so, <laughs> to, to, totally, and that's, and that's you know, I mean, as yeah. Julie Alexander points out every week, like that sort of uh, soft core reality is exactly what keeps people <laughs> tuning into streaming. You know, they, they have Paramount Global, I, I'm not a technologist, but the platform is, it, it looks pathetic compared to, you know, uh, what, for instance, Netflix operates with or, or you know, uh, or Amazon's uh, interface. So there's a long way to go, and I'm sure there are ways to populate this content. But when you think about this company, and this is just, like, stunning to me. Paramount's market cap, it got, it lost around 30% late last week in, in a single day when, when Bankish made this announcement. Market cap is $11 billion, right? Comcast... That's like the two hundred billion dollar company. Disney's hovering around there, and you know Netflix went from like you know two hundred to one hundred, and, 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 and is returning again during the pandemic peaks. These were all you know two hundred plus billion dollar companies. This is an eleven billion dollar company. When hmm. Sumner Redstone was in his entering his sort of descent, and I'm not going to get these numbers perfect because I'm, I'm I'm doing this on the top of my head here. But when CBS and Viacom were two separate companies. One run, you know, pitifully by Philippe Daman, whose whose only great skill in life was was paying himself handsomely, and the other uh, run by Les Moonves. We know this story ends, uh, and you know, uh, Les committed many horrific offenses, but the his you know greatest offense as an executive uh, financially was just belittling the the forces of of streaming. He just was not paying attention to it. He was deeply focused on, you know, Blue Bloods 7 or, you know, NCIS Richmond. Um, These were were $20 billion companies apiece, right? Give or take. Maybe maybe, uh, Viacom was, which is already slipping due to the decline of the cable bundle, was maybe 17 and CBS was 24. CBS was in the dominant position. That's why Moonves didn't want the deal anyway. That's a lot of value destroyed. That's, you know, 75% of the value destroyed in these companies. And what's stunning to me after a unbelievably brutal period of years, uh, legal wars initiated by Moonves, but fought, you know, mercilessly by Sherry Redstone. They combined these companies uh, with the industrial logic that it would be easier to sell them that way, um, which is, you know, not necessarily financial logic that matters to shareholders, but but certainly to the Redstones, which are the controlling, the dual class company, the controlling shareholders. It now turns out to my eyes, and again, this is not investment advice, I'm not a banker, 
but I don't know how they're going to flip this thing in one piece. I think that the value inside the company is in excess of the 11 billion that they have. I mean, truly think about it. Taylor Sheridan's deal alone, you know, makes up like uh, a single percentage point of the value of um, of this company. So Mm-hmm. It is uh, it is stunning to me. And again, we're we're in the sort of like we want to be happy and upbeat and cheerful for the Hamby Warshaw wedding, but we are um, we find ourselves seeing another era ending here, and even faster. Like it took ten or twelve years for the Web uh, 1.0 era to end, and we are seeing the like mega conglomerate era of massive media companies rise and fall in a couple of years, right? Like Paramount Global, this is not sustainable. And um, even Zaz with his success, uh, I think it, it all foreshadows another combination. You know, uh, frankly, I woke up this morning thinking, oh geez, why? Maybe he's got a stocking horse now, right? You know, we, we talk here openly and honestly about how a marriage between NBC Universal, which is now leaderless, and Warner Brothers Discovery, it makes a ton of sense once the reverse Morris Trust tax avoidance, you know, tax consequence rules expire in about a year. But Zaz could potentially pick off Paramount Global or what he wants of it for couch cushion money now. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's got a market cap. I mean, they have to sell at a premium, of course, but it's got a market cap that's basically one quarter of WBD EBITDA. So life is unpredictable, my friend. Man, when you said NCIS Richmond, I was glad that wasn't around when I was in high school. Uh, in, the, in, my, in my mind, NCIS Richmond uh, would be like cops in the West End breaking up parties and sending kids fleeing into the woods. Um, John, I will see you later this week, buddy. Thank you so much. All right. Can't wait, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Puck.